The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. Operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, by all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. You were born free, you got fucked out of half of it, and you wave a flag celebrating. <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. Folks, welcome back to the Agora Podcast. It's Penguin here with my co-host Sek Magora. It's your home for agorism, localism, radical decentralization, and anti-authoritarian concepts. Um, bringing you the first part of a special series um, that we'll be uh, recording um, here and there, a woman in anarchism series dedicated to interviewing uh, women anarchists, talking about uh, the history of women in anarchist philosophy and the female perspective in general um so sick that's great idea that you had to um an inspiration to uh, start this series and if you will um go ahead and introduce our very first inaugural guest for the women in anarchism series yeah so like penguin said we're going to uh, be interviewing uh women who are also anarchists and tr sort of get their backstory and perspectives. Uh, we will probably do some episodes on uh, anarchists, women anarchists in history as well. And um, I figured the the best first start would be to bring my lady on. So today we're introducing Resonance, uh, the lady of Sakistan. Um, here, hold on, let me pass the mic. Hello. <laughs> hey, these are always fun because you guys, of course, sharing a mic and everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome on. Thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here. Glad for I'm the first one on your Women in Anarchism series. That's pretty exciting. Obviously, yeah. So why don't you go into your backstory and how you got to here? Oh man. Um. So. I was raised in like fundamentalist Christian Southern Baptist background. And I like had, I even, oh man, I went to a Lutheran school as a child. So I had like a pretty religious indoctrinated upbringing. And um, a huge part of that was like 
trust the state and the government. And, you know, my family was really big into supporting the police. And um, it, it took a lot for me to kind of get out of that. But so I was in community college in 2015 and I was in an engineering course and one of the kids in there with me, we were just like sitting in between classes talking and he was like, so what are you like politically? And at that point, I didn't know, you know, I hadn't given it much thought um, outside of, you know, I knew that bad shit was happening and good people were suffering. Um, so I was like, yeah, I guess I'm a social Democrat because in my mind, like, you know, the only people who are going to be able to fix the government problems are the government, right? Um, and he was like, do you really think it's ph philanthropy or it's good to force people to do what's right? And that, that question like got me down the path to anarchy. And I guess it's one of those that, you know, a lot of people say that it's harder to reach the left than it is the right. And maybe it's just cause I rolled in ANCAP circles for a long time, but, um, I don't think so. I think it's easier to reach the left if you come from that perspective and it might be like easier to reach women in general if you come from that perspective um because it's it's not necessarily about the rational mind but more about the emotional mind and like helping people um instead of being independent or being free necessarily you know what i'm saying um but anyway so after that, like he and I talked for a little bit and he had mentioned um, Murray Rothbard. So I went home and read Ethics of Liberty. I finished it that night. I had a whiteboard in my bedroom and it was covered with quotes from Ethics of Liberty. Um, so, you know, I just continued reading Rothbard from there. And then uh, I found a group of people on Facebook who introduced me to like Mises and the Mises Institute um, and, you know, just started like building up an online community and everybody in my life thought I was insane. Like they thought I had lost my marbles, but it was just some, something about the coercion didn't sit with me anymore. Like once I realized it was there and you can literally like, after you take a step back and look at it, you can see it in every facet of government. You can see it in every facet of your interaction with them. Um, with your interaction with the police and the enforcers and even like with your interaction with the financial institutions, like you can see it all there. Um, and it was just like, none of it sat well with me anymore after that, like after I realized it and they say like, you know, it's so cliche to hear that you woke up, but it's like, it's what happened. You know, you're not paying attention. Then all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit. Um, this is literally rampant. <laughs> So um, after that, like, you know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand anarchy from the textbook perspective. Um, and so, you know, I read a lot of literature and then, you know, started talking to people online. Um, and that's how Sack and I met. At that, at that point, we were... <laughs> Well, we were like tag team in status in a group called We the People on Facebook, um, trying trying to explain like libertarian ideas and stuff in a way that, you know, makes sense to people who are still super entrenched in the political dichotomy or whatever. 
because you know like you get lefties and righties and they're going at each other's throats like my there's only two ways you can either be left or right there's no other alternative so it's like bringing in alternative ideas or whatever um so uh and then he went mia for a while um and at that point i had lived in arizona i moved back to tennessee and was oh man working night shift and going to school in the daytime and most of my anarchy was just online then like i didn't you know i i wasn't doing anything much in my real life um you know working and going to school was and i had a my daughter was four and five at the time so it was t that took up a lot of my time but um when he finally moved here we started a little garden we were living in an apartment and we started a little garden in these raised beds they had out back and we made like we grew enough tomatoes and peppers that we could share them with our neighbors. And um, then we moved to the spot where we're at now. We've got like huge gardens out back and we can share seedlings with our community. And um, around the time when COVID happened, I had uh, started getting into like herbalism and stuff. And a huge part of that was like just going around my backyard and like trying to identify what plants are there. I don't know if I did that like intentionally um, for me medicinal purposes or just to, you know, help my own curiosity and keep me from going stir crazy at that point in time. Um, but there's like a ton of plants that grow in the backfield here that are medicinal. So it's like, there's so much, there's so much access to medicine like around me. Um, and being able to share that and that knowledge with my community, um, has some, is something that is amazing. That's came out of the whole pandemic situation. Um, so that, and then, you know, starting to make all of our own you know, body care products and, you know, just like whatever I can here, um, so that we're not dependent on state supply chains for one. And so that we're not constantly bombarding our bodies with chemical shit storms for two. So yeah, that's like the down and dirty of how I got to where I'm at as an anarchist anyway. So like went from social Democrat to internet anarchist to just, you know, trying to get my life and my family's life away from the state as much as possible and put like a, big giant barrier in there so like you know we're not as dependent on them getting shit done we can do it ourselves oh great yeah it's amazing it's like that it's an, another person um another one of our friends that's that made that leap and um it just goes to show you i think like you said a lot of people don't really put in um, a lot of people really are biased against maybe reaching the left or reaching people from that um, point of view. But I mean, of of all people um, that I'm familiar with, uh, you and SEC, which of course SEC doesn't really come from the same background, but you know, uh, you guys really are about that life and, and really walk the walk. So um, I, I could say it's most certainly uh, genuine. And that was a really inspiring story about how um, you and SEC met and how you started your race was from just a very small, very small thing. And then on to um, where you're at now. And you have a whole uh, double team podcast on, on the DIY kind of subjects and everything. So that's, that's really inspiring. Yeah, man. He, so when he first came here, I was convinced that I couldn't grow shit. 
like I had tried. I've ki- I killed cactuses. I killed aloe. I killed everything that I ever tried to plant. Heaven forbid, like starting something from seeds. No, that was never going to happen. But like when he came here, like we focused a lot on the getting good soil for one. And then, you know, just planting enough so that if you kill some, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but yeah, yeah like some I are never... always going to die. Huh? Some are always going to die. But oh, yeah. Gotta be, yeah, I have a redundancy. But uh, and look where you're at now. That's great. Right. Yeah. Now I've got like a whole bunch of plant babies and, you know, some of them die and some of them don't make it. But it's not as big of a deal when it was like, you know, me hovering over my cactus. Like, why are you losing? Why are you not? Or why are you getting like wilty on me? What's your problem? (laughs) So, um, what do you think would be a, a unique perspective uh, in regards to the relationship between women and anarchism? You mentioned earlier that, in, you know, in general, women think more with uh, emotion. Um, do you think that arguments could be tailored to that effect? Absolutely. And I'm, I make this argument quite a bit because... Um, You know, a lot of the people who are most outspoken in anarchy are male. And um, a lot of times they say shit like facts over feelings, which, you know, I don't disagree with that. But I don't think that I think it's another false dichotomy because nobody's asking you to put feelings over facts. We're just asking you to present facts with feelings in mind. Um, So if you're going to say something like, you know, you want to talk about single moms and the stats around single moms as an anarchist, um, like keeping in mind that the audience that you're talking to could be hurt by the words that you're saying is probably like going to help you make some, or like, you know, instead of burning the bridges, build some bridges. Um, and I think there are a lot of single moms and anarchy and motherhood is another, um, unique perspective that often gets overlooked. And I think a lot of women become anarchists because of the effects of state on our children um, and the public education system and its effects on our children. So like, you know, um, getting away from trusting the state as the primary caregiver for our children. And, And that's something that's been pushed really big, especially in the last few decades is, you know, moms are supposed to give up their kids at, you know, six months or whatever back to the daycare and then go back to work. And then after that, it's someone else, their children are literally someone else's to raise. And, you know, the minute they step into kindergarten, that's the state if they're going to public school. So, um, you know, like a lot of my female friends homeschool, unschool their kids. And, um, that's the biggest reason why, you know, is to keep that influence of the state away from our children. And, you know, I I don't want to like the state. Yes, the state's going to indoctrinate our kids. And I think a lot of us are trying to counteract counteract that with the homeschool. Um, I don't think that like a lot of people will say that homeschooling moms are indoctrinating their kids, too. Uh, But I think a lot of us are just trying to expose them to a wider variety of you know, ideas and opinions that they don't get access to in public school. Um, 
and it's not you know like sometimes it's the religious homeschooling that gets that bad rap and it like gets spread across the board but uh, I don't think that, you know, the anarchist moms who are homeschooling their kids are, you know, pushing anarchy down their throats or anything. But I think that they're giving them access to ideas and stuff that they're not going to get access to in public education. You know, the revolutionary kind of thought or the, you know, alternate histories and, you know, the things that public education just tries to pretend it, it doesn't exist, you know. Oh, you, uh, you trad wife. Don't you know, would you just get with the times and, uh, become a girl girl boss? Send that kid to daycare and become a girl boss. Of course. Oh man. See, I don't understand. This is one of the many reasons why even before I became an anarchist, I was going to homeschool with children because I don't like, I don't understand why you have kids and then just send them away. Like, what's the point? yeah yeah and i get Um, you know i get that some people do that and some people have to and there's like a lot of people with limited choices and limited opportunities but i swear man i was not going to send my kids to public education and i was working nights on weekends to make sure that that didn't happen for a really long time like it it's just like one of those things that if you prioritize it, you can make it happen. And yes, it's probably going to suck. And yes, you're probably going to lose sleep. But is it going to suck worse than your kids having to go to public school? No, definitely not. Yeah. And, and of course, like I say that facetious, when I said facetiously, of course, like I don't see how that's, you know, trad or reactionary or, or right wing at all to opinion to have. And it's just it just shows how a lot of the things that um, a lot of opinions are basically kind of pigeonholed based on like one possible interpretation of uh, someone's motivations or like the underlying feelings. Another thing you mentioned is, of course, the that very, you know, what's ultimately a very narrow kind of uh, right wing libertarian kind of facts of a feeling rationalist thing that, you know, almost is kind of an anachronism now um, that comes out of a a strain of the right that that Ben Shapiro very um, what comes out of objectivism, of course, but also that Ben Shapiro, you know, facts so facts not um, over your feelings and stuff. That's I think really misplaced. Um, that's another topic for another day and another podcast. But um, one thing you did mention is specifically reaching emotions, and I think historically, if you look at various kinds of anarchist writing. Um, and, and I'm, I kind of see where some of the I can see where this kind of differs in certain more recent traditions. But in the broad historical context of anarchist writing, they were very like emotional and very evocative. And that was always at home with so many anarchists um, in general and the history of of, of um, women anarchists um, that are some of the most well-known. I know American anarchist uh, writers in, in the in the past times. And it just seems so strange to get into this kind of rationalist mindset. And, of course, you know, if you if you look at the more recent history, we know where that comes from. But it's it's so out of place to say uh, facts over feelings, I think. Heck, yeah, man. Declare, um, there are several of her essays that where, like, I read them and get goosebumps. You know, where she, the, she, what's the one where she's talking about the vine that's growing and they cut it off and then it still flowers anyway in the lightning? Yes, the dominant idea. That one, man. And you know, that's not appealing to anybody's logical side. That's talking about like, you know, persevering through the storm and making shit happen anyway. Um, 
but yeah, I definitely get that. And I think that a lot of the historical women anarchist writers were really big on emotional appeals. Um, and shit, I mean, the men too, but it, since we're talking about women, <laughs> but definitely declare, um, like you can't, you can, you can definitely go through and pick out facts from the things that she writes, but she writes it in a way that she's trying to appeal to your emotions. Um, and I, I think it's possible and there's no reason why we have to pick one or the other or one over the other. It doesn't have to be facts over feelings. It can be facts and feelings both. You know what I'm saying? And when someone like presents a argument that's, you know, based in emotion, they're not inherently presenting feelings over facts. If you look, you might be able to find the facts, but it might be something that's, you know, not as in your face as here's the statistics that the state gives you on why X, Y, and Z things are bad, you know? Yeah, and a lot of the some of the recent trends also, it's the the idea of basing basing your worldview on objective facts is just so problematic for reasons that we've kind of seen over the past, I don't know, decade or so. And it, it, I think it's time to kind of abandon that and really the idea of trying to not appeal to emotion is just so out of place with the kind of ideas we're talking about. So I think everybody comes to uh, their ideals from, you know, a, a, a mix. Humans are complex, right? Not just women, but uh, from a, a mix of emotion, you know, compassion, empathy, and, you know, logic and reason, right? So there's a, everybody finds their specific balance for what those is. Nobody really operate solely on like cold hard logic that to the right, uh, right i mean uh except for sociopaths right you know so uh i think it is good for you know not just appealing to women but appealing to everybody to show uh anarchism in the light of you know compassion and empathy and then yeah some uh you know uh, arguments from reason as to why <clears throat> these kind of uh, social organizations are best suited for, you know, uh, human flourishing and the worst off among us and those uh, um, who are crushed by the system. Now you can, you know, you can appeal to emotion, but present a logical argument as to why that will solve whatever um, problem that you're feeling compassionate about or empathizing with whether that's, you know, the poor or single moms or what have you. And, and back to the single mom and, and trad thing. Um, so, you know, we have kind of a trad relationship here right now, but I think the difference between ourselves and sort of the reactionary right is uh, we don't think this is like universal or a biologically determined, you know, and, this is what how it works for us now, you know, but it may be the case that someday when the kids are older that, you know, the, the roles are reversed. You know, these things aren't set in stone and there isn't a, a one universal answer for all people. Um, people, you know, have different kinds of roles and, and, you know, a division of labor that suits them in their own relationship. So I think that's what differentiates our, our living situation with sort of the the traditionalist or, or what have you 
but uh back to the single mom thing so parenting is hard parenting with two parents is hard um so parenting with one parent's parent is and you have to work is unless you're like uniquely wealthy or something is extremely hard whether you're a single mom or a single father now uh you know certain you know trad types like the shit on single moms specifically right um and they'll say that that situation is uh the result of the state and and a breakdown of traditional values and what have you but uh one could imagine a situation where absent the state we we have various you know support networks for single parents you know based in the community and you know your uh, the broader sort of social order um where it wouldn't uh they would have single parents would have uh the support from you know uh extended family and surrounding community to where it wouldn't necessarily be so hard and such a problem and and uh what have you so again i think even the sort of trads problem with single moms again comes back to the state rather than a sort of culture i don't think there's anything inherently wrong with being a a, a single parent for you know obviously but it is definitely a, a two-person job and it um when you're doing a two-person job with one person it's just that much harder um so uh, residents you want to expand on that do you have any thoughts on that? yeah definitely like thinking back historically women have had groups of other women in their communities so whether that's their family or local friends or you know girls that they grew up with and the state has worked really really hard and i don't know if it was like intentional or a byproduct of all of the other shit that they're doing to get women in or you know just humans in general in a spot where they're alone um so that if something happens they're gonna have to be dependent on the state um and the fact that you know these trad types want to take dumps on women for turning to the state when that's exactly how the situation has been designed like oh man it, it's just like it's frustrating um i have a ton of friends that are single moms i was a single mom for years and it you know hearing constantly that it's your fault and you know it's uh something that you did or you should have done xyz thing to keep your man or he wouldn't have left you if you were a good woman etc cetera, etc cetera. like those kinds of arguments that are constantly thrown out there and then you like think about it and it's like no no because historically women had support systems and communities and people outside of ourselves that would help with child rearing that would help with emotional support that would help with like all of these other things so like they had days where they would get together and can and preserve foods from their various crops or whatever and like that that doesn't exist anymore like these communities the community support systems don't exist anymore and it, it like i said it's not just for women it's it for humans in general you have to go out and build it it's not organically there um so I think like a huge focus for a lot of women in anarchy is building that. And it, it, you'll hear it like you're building your tribe or whatever. And a lot of it exists online nowadays, but um, it's definitely something that like we have, have to consider and work on as anarchists and like getting that supportive community back because it just, 
it it has to be there like nobody can do this shit by themselves you can't <laughs> you can't uh raise kids and work and home educate and you know do all of that alone it's just you will lose yourself and lose your mind um and then you know what what are you even doing it for if you can't even spend quality time with your kids after after all of that so it's just um you know we've got got to start building those communities back and i think that's like a huge part of why we do what we're doing here is to help get the community in a spot and us in a spot where like if something happens and we need to be more reliant on each other that's there um like I have a, a local best friend who unschools her kids and we have play dates and we meet up and, um, you know, we get together and I watch her kids while she plants and she watches my kids while I harvest. And, you know, we, we do that kind of thing. Um, but we need more of that, like everywhere, not just here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, when you, now that you bring that up, it kind of, it kind of goes against, flies in the face of a certain kind of, I don't know, vulgar libertarian tendency uh, where, you know, the, the stereotypical lifestyle uh, of somebody that this, this spouts off about liberty. Um, and it has kind of gone down a more quote unquote radical path, um, arguably, is that, you know, you kind of go and you get your cabin in your woods and you, you, you get, because you kind of become autarkic and, you know, it's just, go the self-sufficiency route um which in many ways is, is is really good but kind of a kind of in a way not in order to you know build up your defenses and resilience and engage in like you know free exchange with people um and to be really a you know a, a member of a community and and you know if everything works out, a community of like-minded people, or at least somewhat like-minded people, but instead just to kind of cut yourself off from the world and just kind of, and I understand that, that um, you can be, be frustrated enough to like want to resort to that just out of frustration with maybe, maybe a bit of over-consuming the news, you know, and, and what goes on on the on political national and international level. But you know what you mentioned just with cooperating with like one other person or a group of like uh homeschooling and unschooling parents and and you just expand that into other other realms of your life and 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 um you could increase the scale or increase the scope of it and all that sort of cooperation and communic uh, cooperation in an anarchic level where there is no you know boss worker or master slave kind of relationship which is basically how you would define that kind of anarchist um, cooperation and, and um, social structures. Um, and even if, even if, even for people that weren't philosophically or, you know, political anarchists, that's just, that just comes naturally to kind of those kind of structures. Um, especially when you are issuing very, you know, hierarchical top down, heavily organized in political um, structures like the educational system and others, especially nowadays. Um, but I think part of me wants to say that there is something very male about that kind of go out and live in the woods and become totally autarkic kind of um, world, not worldview, but kind of a, kind of a wish, kind of a wish to throw yourselves, throw your hands up in the air and just, and just 
get out of everything. And I, I understand that you might be in a place where things might happen in your personal life that might kind of drive some people to actually do something like that. But I think when you when you look at kind of non you know stereotypical non hierarchical kind of anarchistic um, cooperation in communities, I think that's the kind of thing that much more that's even more appealing to women in general, just based on the realities of life. Um, and that's something that I think should be really emphasized because uh, like you mentioned, raising kids and, uh, and, and doing r- running a household or homestead or anything like that, not because it's trad, because that's just what women naturally end up doing. Like sex said with the division of labor, that's just something that really, you know, this kind of role developed in a very cooperative context. Like I'm sure a lot of people would know. And the idea to do, to carry that burden all on your own and for every woman in each household or each homestead to carry that burden on their own for each uh, household is, is pretty ridiculous. It'd be crazy to run like an economy like that. It would also be pretty crazy. It's also crazy to expect women to, um, that, that uh, lean towards that, you know, you know, a lifestyle that's in some ways, you know, domestic and agricultural and, and child raising. It's crazy to expect them to do that as an island. The baby's awake. <laughs> Hi. Uh, she's going back to sleep. Here, do you want to respond? Yeah, definitely. Um, whenever I hear about the, you know, individual as an island thing i typically think oh that's probably a guy just because a lot of women are number one at a huge physical disadvantage um and doing things like that is physically laborious for one and for two you know you don't have the state guaranteeing protection to anybody ever but definitely much less so if you're going to go out on your own um and and there's something about like you know the numbers game when women are thinking about personal safety like being with a larger group especially a larger group of women is going to be safer than being out by myself um but and on that note stay strapped <laughs> like that that that's a huge part of uh autonomy and uh self-reliance for women is self-protection um and i mean it it is for everybody but a lot of women don't think about it like like gun ownership uh it's a very right-wing thing in a lot of circles um and i think it needs to be uh very marginalized and very um yeah, any anybody who's a potential victim needs to be thinking about it. And I think it should be more of like a liberal thing, more that we hear from the left wing talking about like arming people, but specifically like it in our context, talking about like women and guaranteeing your own autonomy and self-reliance and being dependent on yourself. Um, being armed is definitely important. And I think a lot of times like we don't see... Uh, the women as an island because it's just like that that's always i mean it's always in the back of my mind like what 
if something happens and it's just me and my kids here, like, what am I going to do? You know? Um, and being armed takes a huge part of that burden off of my mind, but it's still always there, you know? Um, and I don't know that, I, I mean, I know that men have the same concerns, but it's probably far less with the physical advantages and with regards to strength and, um, you know, just the fact that you're a man means you're probably less likely to be attacked in the same kind of situations. Um, if that makes any sense at all, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, okay, if we're going to be all trad and talk about like, you know, the traditional um, divisions of labor, you know, the man often has to go out and leave, leave the home base area. And yeah, I mean, he is vulnerable um, in, in the sense that he might be dealing with, with strange people in strange places. So there's a certain vulnerability there. But then the woman, um, I mean, just looking at your lifestyle, I'm not saying that's the only lifestyle there is to be lived, but, um, you know, I think it's, uh, I'm, all for living a um going with the traditional kind of roles and vision of labor it seems to make sense especially when you're not doing it as some kind of um because you're certainly not doing it as a statement but the woman has to you know basically stay at home but he's going to stay at home base and kind of manage home base and that also puts her in a particularly vulnerable situation when there's not you know a man around so i, I don't see how there'd be any less reason for a woman um to need to like you said stay strapped and and, and kind of be the protector at the home because it's very traditional for the man to have to go out and, 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 you know, make the, you know, uh, bring home the metaphorical bacon, so to speak. Um, just that's, if you're going to, if you're going to be trad and I, and I hate this trad dichotomy too. I mean, that's, it's just, it's so great how you kind of typify that lifestyle without typifying it. And it's not some kind of, it's not, you know, some kind of online, instagram thing or some kind of weird fetish or anything it's just like um you know you 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 don't put a political you know in the sense of right wing or left wing spin on it it's um it's just what kind of works the most works the easiest and i think that's that is that's always appealed to me you know because you know sex always made the joke you know the, the, you guys live, live very trad lifestyle so to speak but it's, it's not kind of a, a political statement i think i think there is something to say about anarchism where you can just kind of throw those ideas to the wind and it's so hard for people to do that i don't know if you would agree with me but it's so hard for people that are you know they may be lead in, in an anarchist direction but they're so wedded to like right wing and left wing ideas so they'd really have really strong strong opinions about lifestyle living a lifestyle like that or living another type of lifestyle um when it's so often not a, a statement of like political preference right like for us like we've got a small child um and she's still pretty attached <laughs> she's nursing right now so like she's still pretty attached and for me to be gone for long hours every day would just like it would be havoc on her little central nervous system and mine too at this point man um so like for us it makes sense right now i'm home with the kids because they the especially the littlest one needs me home with her um i mean and it it was never like intended to be any kind of political thing or like traditionalist thing it's just I, I want to stay home with my children because I love my children and they need me right now. <laughs> yeah. Just to put it into perspective, <clears throat> um, 
she could easily make way more bacon than I could. Um, especially if she finishes her, uh, her second degree, uh, she could make way more money for a lot less labor than I can working outside all day. So there might come a day where she's the bacon maker and I, you know, work part-time at my business and take care of the kids. To me, this is, it's just whatever is practical. And <laughs> at the time, like she said, right now, um, you know, she has to breastfeed. So uh, that's just what works out for us now. It's not kind of any kind of traditional ideal. But um, but when we first got together, she was working, taking care of the kid and going to school all at the same time. So that's just how it was. And then eventually it worked out a different way. So to us, this is just whatever is practical for us based on a, a bunch of variables. Now I'm, I'm, you know, we're fortunate enough to where I can make enough money to where we only need, you know, one income for now. Um, so it, it works out that way. But that that's all there is to it. It's just practicality and what works for us right now. Oh, let me. Um, how do you think that uh, resonance? How do you think that um, now you had kids before you were an anarchist? But how do you think that's changed your perspective on uh, anarchism? So when I had my first daughter, I was in, oh man, I was in like this weird religious cult and, uh, it was all about like raising your kids to be good, you know, quote unquote Christians. And it, Christianity is a huge topic and there are several sects within it. So being a good Christian isn't really like inherently a thing, um, but like, that was my goal with her initially. Um, and that has like a huge emphasis on obedience. Um, and that definitely has shifted immensely becoming an anarchist because I don't want my kids to just do what I say. Cause I said so anymore. Um, I want them to question. I want them to ask why I want them to understand going into things, uh, the reasons why I'm asking them to do things as opposed to just doing it because mom said, because they're afraid of how I'm going to react if they don't. Um, and like my childhood was a lot of that, like, you know, just fear, afraid of the trouble I was going to get into the punishments I was going to have. Um, and like ending that, I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. I want them to be able to have like, like the serious conversations with me when they're older I want them to not be scared of the way I'm going to react if, you know, they break something or spill something or, you know, all those things that, you know, like I spilled milk when I was a kid and I got put in time out or, you know, I got a spanking for doing X, Y, Z thing. And I don't want my kids to have that. I don't want them to grow up with that trauma, I guess. Um, and I don't know, like some of the things were pretty traumatic as a kid, but I don't want them to have those same experiences and it to, like it frames the way that you view authority um like hugely because just blind obedience to teachers blind obedience to parents blind obedience to cops and you're like get given these things that you're supposed to do your entire life and then one day you realize that you've been doing them, but never asking why. And then you find out that the why is so morally abhorrent. And it's just, I don't want them to have that realization at any point. Like I want them to know their whole life 
why they're doing what they're doing and making the decisions that they're making and that they're not just blindly following authority. Um, they're not just being obedient for the sake of obedience. They're doing what they're doing by making moral choices with their own agency. And they're capable of doing that. Um, so it's, it's a huge difference from when I first had my first child or when I was even a kid myself to where I'm at now as a mom. Um, and I know for a lot of anarchist women, that's a big deal. Like you'll see it, um, in, in groups and it'll go around even on Twitter too, like about, uh, being so anti, like against spanking your kids against, you know, the gentle parenting movement itself. And that's like a huge, um, push from a bunch of women anarchists. And it's not like permissive parenting. We don't want our kids to just do whatever. You know, I don't wake up and let my kids eat cookies for breakfast and walk all over me. Um, like I don't sit there and let them punch me in the face and, you know, clap with them for it. But I'm not going to like hit them back. I'm not going to yell at them for it. You know, we're, we're, we're going to talk about why you can't have cookies for breakfast. If they're not young enough to understand, we'll offer them some healthy alternatives. Um, if, you know, they hit you in the face, we're going to tell them we don't accept that kind of behavior and get up and walk away, but we're not going to yell at it or we're not going to yell about it and we're not going to um, hit them back, you know, like just trying to, and it, it takes a lot of emotional growth as a parent to, to be able to do those things sometimes, man. And I still have times where I like raise my voice and then I feel like shit for days and I like have to apologize and we have to sit down and have a conversation because yes, you know, moms get overwhelmed and, you know, we fuck up too. So, but, uh, that's definitely one of the biggest things that have changed in my perspectives on um, parenting in relations to anarchy. Um, because I don't want my kids to have that so fucked up relationship with authority that I did. Yeah. I think that's one of the most remarkable, um, remarkable parts of this side of like anarchist ideas. So the kind of, uh, you know, people that come out of, uh, libertarianism kind of and anarcho-capitalism we can put all the arguments aside either they're sectarian or just anarchists aren't anarchists and that's i i couldn't tell you how little i care about that whole kind of debate these days <laughs> but the, the the one of the most remarkably genuinely truly and and most deeply felt like you know, sub movements or like tendencies to come out of these people is like the the peaceful parenting movement and, and unschooling and homeschooling, but all in conjunction and all this stuff about families and, and kids and how heartfelt they really are about that. And, you know, say what you will about other, other ideas that they may have, or if they are so fleshed out or not, these seem to be some of the most fleshed out and the most passionate things um, that I, I, I've seen, like, you know, historically over the past, you know, half a decade from this crowd. And I, obviously that's one of the places where clearly one would expect, and I'm sure it's true that like women have led the way on that. And I think there's just so much of a role. It's just, it's just, it's just not a politics. Say what you about other political tendencies. I, I don't really know. And it's, it's, it's a crazy concept, but this is a kind of a politics where I just think women um, 100% have 
and uh, you know a, a huge hugely crucial role i mean like an like an equal role just by definition of what's what's contained here definitely i guess uh probably 9 times out of 10 when i see someone making like a peaceful parenting anti spanking argument it's coming from a woman um and you know they they will defend that argument like no other. Um, and I've seen so many people get so upset. It's just like one of those things that's been super ingrained. Like you have to, you have to hit your kids so they respect you. Um, and I, I think that a lot of people just internalized that. Um, and so they identify with it. And if they, you know, spank their own children, like they start to feel like you're calling them an abuser or whatever. Um, when inherently it's not, nobody's like, like personally attacking them, but pointing out that, you know, there could be a better way to get those ideas across and your kids don't have to fear you and you don't have to physically hurt them for them to hear and understand you. Um, and, you know, you'll still get some people who say, oh, well, not all kids are that way. And I get it, man. My first kid was easy, super easy to peaceful parent. I never had a problem peaceful parenting, like sitting down and having a conversation with her. And the littlest one now is the polar opposite. Um, she will not sit down. And, yeah, she she's feral. She will not sit down and listen. Um but I'm still like, I'm not going to raise my hand to her. No, we will figure out an alternative. Um, you know, we'll redirect. We will look elsewhere. We will find something else to get her attention, even if she's not going to sit down and listen. But I'm not going to let her engage in dangerous behavior. And I'm not going to hit her to, you know, deter her from engaging in dangerous behavior. We're going to do something else. Um, and the fact that people will present it like those are your only two options is, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like you had to have some major failing in creative thinking to come up with like, those are the only two ways you can raise kids, you know? Yeah. And often in mainstream culture, really nowadays, you really see, um, you know, you know, basically spanking and, and kind of physical punishment really on, on, on the decline and really kind of look, look down upon it. And do you think this could be maybe, you know, the whole concept of peaceful, because you got a parent somehow, there's gotta be something there. Right. And so, and, and, and it's, it is quite difficult. So do you think this can maybe be some, uh, maybe sort of inroads um, into people, not of, not of your, you know, philosophical and, you know, and or political bent, the, um, where it's totally in line with, with your, um, so to speak, ideology. I definitely think that being an example, peaceful parenting, not hitting your children is a way for other people to see anti-authoritarianism in action, <laughs> like you guys talk about here on the show, because that's what it is, man. I don't want my kids to respect me because I'm an authority. I don't want my kids to respect me because I'm older and I don't want them to respect me because I hurt them. Like there's there's other reasons why I want I want to earn their respect or have their respect. And it's not any of that. Um, and I think that's a huge part of like the whole premise behind peaceful parenting. It's developing that relationship with your children that's not dependent on um, authoritarianism. Um, and the more that we see that and the more that becomes mainstream, the more that kids are going to grow up without that. And who knows what it's going to look like for the next generation when they're not, you know, pulling over and immediately just scared of the cops because that's their relationship with authority 
or when they're not, um, you know, asking their boss via email if they can have a 15 minute break, you know, because that's what they've been taught. That's what they have to do. They have to raise their hand and ask to go pee or whatever. Um, so like, I think that it's a huge, a huge inroad or a bridge uh, between anarchism and mainstream ideologies uh, and like how we raise our children is just going to be like, I don't know, it, it, there's no way to tell what it's going to look like 10, 15 years from now with this generation of children that are being raised in um, a less threatening, less violent way. So some people who um, are proponents of peaceful parenting would say that this is a strategy to achieve uh, an anarchist or libertarian society, like somehow uh, like we're going to outbreed the status. Do you think that this is like a useful strategy for that particularly? Um, no. <laughs> I don't think that we're going to have more peaceful kids than they're going to have more authoritarian kids. Um, I mean, especially I'm not having any more kids, especially not me. Uh, but you know, I've, you know, I've seen lots of anarchists who have like, you know, seven, eight kids or whatever. And even then like, yes, what you're doing is great. And it's going to be fantastic for their prospective communities when they're older. Um, but I don't think that we're going to out, breed the state with anarchist babies um however our ideas are contagious and the more children are raised outside of public education and we see them excelling um, the more children that are raised in peaceful homes and we see them excelling it's just going to be uh i guess an example for everybody like else who's, you know, I I don't want to say they're going to be struggling. I don't know. They might be doing just fine. There are lots of people who are raised in authoritarian households who are doing just fine now. But who knows where, where they would have been had they been raised in a spot where they weren't like chronically scared, you know? Um, and I think that's like the biggest reason for peaceful parenting in general is just like so that your children will grow up in a world where they're comfortable expressing themselves and they're not afraid of the repercussions from their parents you know like society's going to give them enough pushback they don't need it in the home too like especially not violence so um and then i know that like for a lot of people <sighs> I'm not against violence when I say that. It's it's not what I'm saying. I'm just against violence against your children. You know, violence against people you love. Like, you can find other ways. And it's not like you're defending yourself from a toddler, you know? Like, violence has its place. It definitely does. That's why I said stay strapped. But violence in the home is a completely different topic. Um, violence when it's not necessary is a completely different topic than you know, defending yourself or, you know, yeah, yeah. The other good uses for violence. <laughs> yeah. I think this is going to go full circle, but, um, we were, we were talking about spreading, uh, I ideas and kind of different perspectives on, um, kind of anarchist ideas. Uh, and 
obviously, while even the conservatives can't outbreed the left, so I, I don't think there's any any idea that we're that there's going to be kind of breeding outbreeding anyone going on. I think um, so. You see, with we see with younger generations, I think people are having certain ideas where they're kind of questioning some types of authority and maybe um, tradition in the, in the way of like civic tradition and, and the, just the way things are, whether it's ec economic organization, social organization, and even the, the state itself. Um, but obviously most people coming from that go in a very different direction than you or I or, or SEC. Um, but there's something there, there. And I think a lot of that, of course, has to do with youth. I mean, there's a certain amount of people that will go and ask radical questions, but eventually, you know, quote unquote, grow out of it. But, um, you know, that that youthful, so that, that youthful kind of thing where you are kind of questioning the, the, the economic and political realities, but, uh, but ultimately kind of embracing, embracing the state in this very kind of social democrat way that i'm that i'm sure you're very familiar with um it just becomes like this is the accepted and really only pragmatic way to you know achieve a, a better a better uh, organizational structure is to kind of reform it in this particular way maybe with technocracy and and and, and other things but speaking from experience, do you, do you think that maybe women could have a, based on the things that we've talked about previously in this conversation, do you think they'd have a better way to kind of maybe reach people and kind of overcome that tendency to kind of go in one particular direction, which is kind of that reformist, maybe technocratic, maybe kind of um, rationalizing and centralizing um, direction? At least a lot of people that ideas like social democracy and others. Yeah. Um, to to be completely honest with you, like a lot of the women that I talk to have come from socially social democratic backgrounds. Um and I think that it's so it's a lot of youth, and then I think that a lot of them, like the social democrats themselves, are female, like because think about i'm i'm gonna say this i'm gonna get so much shit for this but um so traditionally in western culture i'm gonna say it's been for the past what 100 years we've had like nuclear families where a woman is dependent on a man financially and we're starting to drift away from that. Right. So we're starting to get to these like weird mixes and, you know, everything is working differently and women who have been traditionally protected by a man are looking for that protection from somewhere else. Right. And instead of looking to themselves for it, they're looking to the state because they've been told their whole lives they're going to have, you know, the cops protect them. They're going to have, you know, food stamps from the government and like all of these social programs that are there for those specific purposes. But it's it's just like, OK, so if we're going to build up those social programs, like. Who are we relying on to build them? And it's one of those questions that a lot of people don't personally ask, or if they do, they don't 
think about it to the full logical conclusion. Like, would I hold a gun to my neighbor's head to feed my daughter? Hell yeah, I would. <laughs> but um, would I hold, would I, you know, it, I mean, oh, that was probably a shitty way to explain that because I definitely would hold a gun to my neighbor's head to feed my daughter. Um, but like on mass, is that morally acceptable? No, I, 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 <laughs> I and I tend to think that um, women of your or our political bit are would be much better. I don't know ambassadors of those ideas and these kind of topics than um, a lot of men. And I think that we need more people that are kind of you know can can eloquently kind of tackle the issue and approach you're, it from different right. directions. You're we right need about more that, of that perspective. You, sure, when you've got. Uh, when you have a man telling you, oh, you just need to learn martial arts and carry a gun and you'll be fine. That's one thing as opposed to, you know, like one of your trusted friends telling you, hey, you need to learn martial arts and carry a gun. Um, so like some random internet asshat telling me I need to be safer by doing X, Y, Z things is completely different than a woman that I trust and know telling me that I need to do X, Y, Z things. Um if that makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, on, on, on all the topics that you're bringing up, just things like the, uh, the, the state and, and, and social safety nets and, and, and paternalism is, I think a big buzzword that gets thrown around in that kind of sense. So, you know, kind of, it, it, you'll, you'll tend to get a lot of men that are come from a very, you know, a, a kind of conservative kind of, um, family values, but back a traditionalist, small government kind of, you know, that's, that's what the, family structure and the, the community is for and that's you know we don't need these programs or we don't need these programs or this welfare programs is a bunch of leeches and welfare queens and everything and, and you get really that kind of like Re reagan-esque kind of arguments coming in to libertarian circles and that's that's there's a historical trend of why where that came in and i totally get where there is some i don't know if there's overlap but like a, they, they they touch i guess in some sense but um you, you know that you're going to get a lot of, of those men that we kind of mentioned before not to align all you know all men or anything but are going to come with those kind of arguments that seem and, and they might not also be speaking t terribly from experience or if they are they're just ignoring a, a wide perspective but i think coming from a woman i think there's a lot more insight there and maybe a, a way to connect to idea to a way of framing ideas that would be honestly pretty off-putting to a lot of people including i would say say like the super majority of women right yeah like if i'm gonna talk about getting rid of um social programs like uh food the food stamp program or um like WIC or something like that and i'm talking to a group of women about that like WIC was developed for mothers and their children and um if you know, I, I certainly guys can have opinions about this, definitely. And I think voicing them is great. But if you're going to sit there and tell a woman on WIC that she's a freaking welfare queen trying to, you know, feed her children, then you've got problems and you need to think about how you're framing that argument, like for real. Because what, like, what we need to do is, like we were talking about, build up community, offer viable alternatives to things that the government is doing, and then you know, spread those instead of spreading condemnation for the people who use the social programs that are currently available. 
So um, I agree with what you just said. Um, it's not enough. So listen, anybody who is going hungry, you know, principles are for the well-fed as our mutual uh, favorite musician, Pat the Bunny said, principles are for the well-fed. So um, it, it's not, you're not going to convince very many people that who are, you know, going hungry, you're living paycheck to paycheck or trying to feed their, or worried about feeding their kids that they shouldn't and they're morally wrong for taking advantages of these services when a lot of these problems are systemic to begin with and <clears throat> the state has crowded out alternatives to these sorts of uh, institutions that could be more community-based. So, you know, you rather than being negative, it comes down to, you know, negativity versus positivity. And rather than being negative and shitting on people that are, are doing these things or what have you, um, yeah, build the alternatives. Uh, be, you know, show uh, uh, reasons, you know, how this could work differently and, and try to explain to things. Like, look, I understand, you know, try to come at it from like a place of empathy, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Um, to try to understand their position and where they're coming from and try to meet them where they are. Yeah. And I think that's like a huge thing with a lot of the social programs that women get shit on for using. <laughs> I don't know. It's always like a, a, a problem for a single mom to be on food stamps or to be on welfare or whatever. Um, like that's the, one of the biggest things that pushed me from ANCAP circles to be completely honest was just that like the constant um, it, crap talking about people who use these programs but it's like okay so the state has actively made it difficult for communities to build their own alternatives and the state has and still does continue to operate in a way that destroys relationships not just like community relationships but individual relationships um and then the state offers its solutions to the problems that it creates. And then you're going to crap on people for taking those solutions. I don't think so. Like you can build alternatives, but if all you're going to do is like sit online and bitch about how, you know, X, Y, Z mom uses this program, then, you know, fuck off. Cause that's not, that's not even anarchy. That's just contrarian bullshit. <laughs> oh, I've been saying it for years. <laughs> So, um, probably, you know, one or two more questions and we'll wrap this up because it's nice out and I have things to do. <laughs> um, so some, it, it's a common, um, trope or belief that there's hardly any women anarchists. You know, some people make the joke that if you find a woman anarchist on the internet, they're probably a federal agent. And you and I have made the joke that, you know, if you're a federal agent, you're probably the world's most dedicated federal agent. Um, so why do you think there's the perception that there is hard, uh, none or hardly any uh, women anarchists or libertarians? Oh, man, they don't roll in the same circles. That's all I can say. Because for years, I was... Um, convinced that I was just, you know, uh, one of the guys and, um, I didn't have very many women friends. And it was just like, a uh, thought that I had was just, Oh, I just don't get along with women, but I changed that perspective and started actively seeking out women 
in like online communities and in my um, real life communities who do what I do, man. It's not even like about their gender or sex per se, but about like people who are interested in the same things that I am, like herbalism, um, medicine making, uh, unschooling, uh, peaceful parenting. So like I started looking in those areas and now I have way more women friends than men friends that I talk to on the regular. Like I, I found my besties there. Um, and then, you know, Ray, of course, which I met her through y'all's show kind of in a roundabout way. Um, and then, you know, like all of the, if you guys ever, any of your listeners ever listen to let's make some late, let's make some shit, the podcast that I, that I do, uh, a lot of the people that we have on there are women, um, women who like talk about things from, you know, baking bread to curing themselves of diabetes, you know? Um, and we've had, uh, BJ on from, y'all's patron who's talked about like making her own jerky so like i don't know it's just uh when you start to look in the areas that we've been talking about now you're more likely to find um those women who are interested in those kinds of things and like a, sure yeah a ton of women are interested in self-sufficiency and like building their own homestead and you know animal husbandry and all of that. And I'm sure that you find plenty of women in those circles, but um, a lot of women are also interested in, you know, raising their children in the best way possible and, um, you know, learning how to teach them to teach themselves. And uh, it's just, I guess that shift in perspective was a huge thing. Um, as far as discovering that, you know, hey, I guess there are a ton of women in anarchy. And you know what? There might be an even number of women and men in anarchy. Heck, I might even say there's more women in anarchy. I don't even fucking know at this point. There's just like it. it I don't think that it, anarchy is an idea that's related to sex or gender at all. Um, maybe just some parts of it are more appealing to women than men. So do you think part of it is a lot of anarchist circles are like toxic, unfuckable dudes? And so women kind of like avoid them like the plague and don't feel comfortable in those spaces? Don't I mean, don't say the eye slur, Stick. <laughs> don't say the eye slur. I'm not going to say it either. But oh, yes, yeah. I agree. I mean, that's a huge part of why I... Uh, don't call myself an anarcho-capitalist anymore um, just because everything that could possibly go wrong in those groups somehow gets blamed on single moms or women in general. And I don't know if it was just the ones that I was in, but I was in quite a few and it was always something that, you know, they, they're looking to cast blame. So it's got to go on, you know, some of the most, struggling people in society single moms of course right like uh why not just blame the people who decided to show up and step up for their children for the world's problems yeah i totally yeah, agree I, I totally see i mean that's the combination but, of everything that I've, I've i've asked you about so far is that how, how can how can um having people that are really can eloquently kind of talk about the female perspective how they can kind of overcome exactly what you just talked about 
right. Like I just left them. And I think that's what a lot of women do. They just step out. And so if you're in circles where there's not a lot of women, you might want to check the, I, I don't even want to say the word. Yeah. Like how much of it is shitting on women? Because we're not going to stick around if that's all you do is just talk about how terrible women are all day. And it gets really bad in certain spots of Twitter too. So like I, I'm not on there very much because sometimes like I'll just like scroll through and, you know, I'm looking for the people who are baking their own bread or posting their wildflower photos or whatever. And, you know, you see like, oh, here is this woman doing X, Y, Z thing. And she showed up at this place. And I don't know. It's just like a lot of uh, hate on females in general. Um, and I know that goes both ways because men get it too. But I just mean like in Liberty Twitter circles and Liberty Facebook circles and social media that's um, catered more towards libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism, you see a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I can just emphasize, empathize um, about where I'm coming from, where I've kind of started from a position where I really rejected exactly those ideas that then I've like horseshoe theoried all the way back to basically anarcho-capitalism the long way if that makes sense just to avoid basically falling into the the trap of basically being like uh i i hate the state but i'm reactionary in a very in, also in a very simplistic way and in a way that i mean would would turn off a lot of people but i would especially like for the reasons you listed would turn off to turn off women um and so i think we need as many ambassadors of those ideas and um just like with this podcast where we really go into a lot of like i don't know heady topics and history and quote-unquote theory and stuff but we really we still we still try to get stay firmly routed in the diy diy you guys um you and and ray with your podcast really go heavy heavy into the i mean it's basically it's just it's all a diy podcast um which I I really don't see it very appealing to a lot of women. And I want to generalize all that you know they whether they want to sit around. I don't know if I really can think of any that would re that really enjoy sitting around too much talking about theory at all. Um, so I think that DIY perspective, as cool as it is and as rad it is, and as much people like that content coming from us, I think that your audience, especially like a, a women heavy audience, but not solely women heavy woman only audience. I think that that way of coming at things is such a great vehicle to to reach a lot of uh, women. Right, because you get like without making a girl podcast as much as I make a joke without making a girl only podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, and you know, I I think that man introducing topics like self sufficiency based topics is a great way to just appeal to women in general. And so that's what we try to do is like introduce the topics and how to do it yourself. And then sometimes we'll include the why and the why is usually like self-sufficiency to uh, put a, some insulation between yourself and the state to make sure that you have your own local supply chains and you're not dependent on state supply chains. And those kinds of ideas that we put into our show um, are hopefully going to appeal to someone who hasn't heard of them before. And then, you know, maybe that, that chick who is like, yeah, I'm a social Democrat will be like, wait a minute. 
social democrats are still doing something that's immoral and i don't think that that's cool um so i don't know i'm i'm hoping like our show has a small following and um <laughs> she's talking about snakes over there <laughs> Um, it, it's got a small following. I'm hoping, you know, we'll appeal to more people eventually. But for now, like, it's been great for me to get my feet wet with some new topics and to get started on some things that, you know, I've been putting off for a while. But hopefully, man, hopefully it can be a, a bridge a, between, um, you know, people who've never heard of anarchy before and want to do a project themselves and people who are all about doing it themselves just for self-sufficiency reasons. All right. Well, before we wrap up, do you have anything that uh, you'd like to add from either your own individual perspective or, you know, as a, a woman anarchist? Um, I, you know, if you guys haven't, <laughs> if you guys haven't um, read Declare, a lot of my ideas on anarchy and how it relates to womanhood and femininity itself have originated from her, um, Voltaire Declare, um, and then just man. It, trying to reject the idea of modern femininity itself is a huge thing for me personally, um, because it's been so fuck man. It's been so like turned into a commodity as opposed to what it really is. And that's like a super powerful nurturing kind of, I don't know, like just a relationship building thing that I've got and I can use with my family as opposed to, you know, something that I can sell. And I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't want to pass that information on to my children. I don't want them, my daughters to grow up thinking that, you know, they have to be this, uh, version of womanhood that they have to appeal to the masses or whatever, you know, cause they can be themselves and they can be whatever they want to be and uh they don't have to be the commercialized version of what a woman is <laughs> speaking of this my toddler is playing with snakes right now <laughs> she's saying don't bite me <laughs> okay you want to say hi say hi no okay she doesn't want to say hi. She does what she wants and does not want. <laughs> All right. Well, Penguin, do you have anything to add? Nope. Um, I think we covered uh, some great topics here. I've, I've kind of learned a lot. Uh, I don't know. I've kind of just like developed ideas just from hearing the, the female perspective in this podcast. Episode one of this thing. So I think um, I think uh, that, that's very promising. I'm, I'm glad we were able to. Uh, finally have this conversation i know you we, we've you know we've um so we haven't had you on the podcast so much because somebody always has to be watching the baby um but yeah i so i've learned a lot about your perspective and your story that's that great thanks yeah um uh yeah i think i've been on with i was on with Kay sizzle and then i was on with ray so this is the first time that i've been on by myself <laughs> Well, do you want to uh, tell the audience where they can find you and your plugs and stuff? 
Yeah. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at mother of chaos and that's chaos X A O S. Um, and if you're interested in the let's make some shit show, <laughs> you can find it on Twitter at let's make some S H H. Awesome. Well, this was a good first uh, start, I think, to this series. Um, you know, who better to start with than my own lady? Um, but uh, I hope you all got a lot out of this. Um, and go check out their podcast, Let's Make Some Shit. And uh, everybody, look for more of these. We've got uh, a number of other women guests, women guests lined up, um, starting with friends of ours, obviously. And then uh, we'll keep this going until we run out of women anarchists. Um, so everybody, uh, be excellent to each other. River, do you want to say, oh, shit, edit that out. Baby, you want to say bye? Bye. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah, it was so cute. All right. Uh, edit out where I said her name. Okay. And then, um, everybody be excellent to each other and, uh, Penguin, I'll let you take it out. All right, folks, thanks for joining us. Again, That was this is our first episode of the uh, Women of Anarchism series. So hope you enjoyed it, learned some things, heard some different perspectives, and um, stay tuned for more. And follow us on Twitter at Agora underscore pod, and um, you can kind of just discover all the other ways to contact us through there. We're both on Telegram, um, and we both have our, our, our Twitter accounts on there where you can kind of get that info. Um, we have a we have a po um, podcast, a normal podcast listeners, Telegram, uh, Telegram feed for our episodes and one for patrons only. Speaking of which, uh, please become a patron and send us money. Uh, you can find out more also by uh, hitting this up on Telegram or the Twitter. Uh, so we look forward to getting in touch with you. It's totally free. We love to interact with you. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay tuned for more content.